If I'm honest, I feel like I quit my job too soon. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn why and how to figure out your why when starting your business, how to transition from your full-time job into your own business, and how to manage the entrepreneurship burnout. Today, I'm joined by Aaron Eddy from So Worth Loving. So Worth Loving is a lifestyle company bridging the gap between not talking about self-worth and talking about it, and was started on Cyber Monday in 2011 and based off Atlanta and has sales in over 50 states and over 30 countries. Welcome, Aaron. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk. Yeah, likewise. So let's talk a little bit more about the company description. Can you expand on on, on the very brief intro that I gave on you? Yeah. Um, so So Worth Loving, we're a lifestyle brand. So we use product, accessories, t-shirts uh, to bridge the gap between not talking about the struggles that we have in our daily life with self-worth and talking about it. We kind of use um, and that is we kind of use product as a medium to create conversations that could be scary. Makes sense. So you mentioned to us that this all started with music and a music video in particular that kicked you kind of down, the, or first of all, took you down into a darker place before you came out of it. So tell us about that. What was the music video and what happened? Yeah, yeah. So I was actually an art director for an organiza- a large organization. And by night, I was pursuing music because, you know, music at the time wasn't paying my bills. And so I, uh, I decided to release a few EPs, did a bunch of music videos. I started licensing my music to television shows and commercials like the Kardashians. I had some contracts with some uh, large networks like uh, Lifetime and VH1 and MTV. So when I was pursuing music um, by night, I when I, mus- when I had a music video go viral, I realized, I think we all want something to go viral, right? Because we... I think the 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 glamour of something being viral is that we're seen instantly and quickly, and a lot of people get to know us fast. And so we equate that with success, which isn't always true, but we we think that. And so when my music took, went viral, um, I just saw quickly a lot of people that loved my music and a lot of people that didn't and uh, didn't like the way that I looked or didn't like you know, my, my voice or my songs or, um, things were, I was torn apart, but then, but then, you know, there was the other side of it, the silver lining of people supporting me and, um, speaking up against people that were talking bad about me. So it was like, it was really interesting. And music is such a vulnerable thing to pursue in general. And then let alone when something goes viral and people either like it or don't. But, um, yeah. So when I decided, uh, in that interim of, I had a music blog. I, I wanted to love on the fans that loved my music and supported me and believed in me. And I wanted to reciprocate that back. So I decided to put my home address on my music blog and offer to spray paint stranger shirts for free. Uh, if they wanted to mail me their personal shirt, I would spray paint that you're worth loving and I would mail it back to them for free. And that's how the very, very early beginnings of So Worth Loving started was out of my music and a blog. Mm. So, what, what was the um, the response to to putting your address out? There? Like, how how many people were sending in shirts to you? 
Yeah, you know, it was so crazy. I thought that I received like four or five shirts and they'd be all from my mom or my sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it ended up being strangers from all over all over the country. Um, I had people from Hawaii, one person from Ireland, one person from North Carolina. Uh, we, I received a few hundred shirts within an eight-month span of people sharing their stories with why they felt unworthy of love. They would write a letter in with their T-shirt. And it'd be a T-shirt that probably like one that you're wearing right now or one that I'm wearing, just something that they found in their closet that they've maybe had for a while. And, uh, and they would, they would mail it to me. And it was, it was honestly, when I started getting the, these stories and these t-shirts, I felt a call to action, uh, kind of a responsibility because all of the stories that I started receiving, whether it was emails or hand letters, handwritten letters, it, they were people feeling alone in their struggles. And I thought if they all knew that they weren't alone, they would be able to work up courage, right, to talk about some of the things that they're going through. So it was a beautiful response. Yeah, definitely. So, so going from spray painting on people's shirts that are selling into you to making your own shirts, making your own apparel, that's pretty, you know, pretty, pretty big, big jump, right? It's going from <laughs> just spray painting again to like designing your own, your own products. So what made you take that step? Like how were you able to bridge that gap between spray painting to actually creating your own apparel? Yeah, great question. You know, I, again, like it was a passion project. So I never even like set out to, to pursue a business, to pursue a lifestyle brand. Um, it was truly just passion project, wanted to love on people. They were loving back. It was just like a really beautiful, like mutual exchange. Um, what, what really took me to the next step and wondering where I should go was when I started receiving um, questions like emails of people saying, Hey, my girlfriend is going through a divorce right now. I want to buy her something to remind her that she's not this circumstance. Like she, her, she is so much, um, wor- she's worth so much more than this circumstance she's going through. Or I, I have a friend that's going, you know, they just decided to pursue rehabilitation for sex addiction or alcohol addiction. Uh, and then I want to give them this reminder that they aren't their addiction. So I just started receiving people requesting to buy a t-shirt instead of doing the footwork and, you know, packing up a shirt, putting it in the mailbox, mailing it to me, spray painting it, them waiting for however long it takes me because I have a full-time job and I'm pursuing music to spray paint a shirt and mail it back. It was the demand of people wanting to carry this message and purchase it. And so I decided okay, I'll just, I don't have a lot of money to invest in inventory. So I'm just going to screen print a small um, batch of shirts. And I found a mom and pop like shop. It was a mother that had a screen printing business in her basement and she could do small quantities. And she had, you know, her license to be able to get uh, blank t-shirts for a decent cost. And so I decided, I'll just try this out. <laughs> just see, screen print one t-shirt. Let's just see what happens. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so a lot of people were buying it or asking to buy it as like a supportive gift and not for themselves. That's right. It was majority of our customers turned in from what I thought would be for them ended up being for somebody in their life. Mm. Is, is that the case today too, that most of your, your, your buyers are buying it as a gift for someone else? It's honestly, it's, it's like 40, 60. And mostly, sorry, 40, 60, which way? 
40, 40 would be for themselves and 60 would be as gifts. Yeah, big gifting kind of portion. Does that change the way that you have to kind of, I guess, talk about any, like, I guess it's just changed that the marketing that's involved when it is kind of more, when you're noticing that a lot of people are buying as a gift rather than for themselves? Uh, that's a good question. You know, over time, I think um, we've always just, our voice has always been to support and be that bridge of conversations. So that's always, that's never changed. And our product doesn't even, I think because that's our, that's our posture, it just naturally attracts people to either gift or buy for themselves. So we've never really decided to put um, our marketing efforts in one way or the other, more so just what, what do we want to be consistent in? And it's just creating the conversations of self-worth. And, uh, and then within that, it is naturally evolved into what it is if that makes sense. It does. So you were getting these, these requests, you had a day, you had a day job, you're running a music blog, you're focused on your music. You weren't thinking like, I don't think I have time for this. Like, how did you find the time to, to start? Cause I think a lot of people are in the situation, especially a lot of entrepreneurs are doing too many things, right? And now there's a new thing yeah. that they want to pursue. How did you find time? How did you carve out time your day to make progress towards launching the, 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 the brand? Yeah, it's a great, yeah. I, you know, I, I, if I'm honest, I feel like I quit, I quit my job too soon. Cause I think that you can have a full-time job while pursuing your, your passion and do it from a just responsible. If you, if you map everything out and you have an end date, I think that that's where, um, I, I went wrong. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs fall into this trap because the thing is, when you start to pursue something you're really passionate about, uh, that's all you think about. And it's all you kind of obsess over. And it's all you want to spend your time doing. Um, but the practical side of is you have bills to pay and you have responsibilities. And then there's pressures that you apply on your home life. And, you know, we want to we want to kind of uh, make it a dreamy circumstance, right, where I was so passionate and I quit my job and then I pursued it and everything was wonderful. Um but truthfully, the first few years, I mean, it was like you would get your waves of like momentum and then crickets and then momentum and then crickets and momentum and then crickets. And you need that financial stability during the time of the crickets because the crickets are are hard uh, on your self-esteem and you question on if you should do it or not. Um, so, so for me, though, I wouldn't have, I mean, if I look back, it's like, I wouldn't have changed my story because it definitely created thick skin and I was able to develop, you know, becoming more scrappy, that scrappy entrepreneur that's like, all right, let's figure out how to crunch numbers and how to financially do this because we can, we just got to figure it out. It's just semantics if you're passionate about it. Um, so it, I quit my job quickly uh, when, I when I decided, man, this is what I really want to do. I went into my job and I said, I quit. <laughs> And then I did some contractual work with them that allowed me to have a little bit more um, freedom, which was great. So I was able to take on contractual jobs uh, to not feel because I was on salary, health benefits. I mean, gym memberships. I mean, it was an incredible job that I had at such a young age. I think I was 23, 24, 24 when I quit. Um, so, I mean, yeah. So I guess to answer, I know that's a, a long winded answer, but. Um, I, 
I think that you can do both. I think it's just figuring it out. But I definitely was just like, sky's the limit. Let's just mm-hmm. go. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I guess once the, the honeymoon phase wore out and you had those cricket stages where nothing was happening, nothing was moving much, why did you decide to go get, get a job again? Um, well, so I didn't. I just actually, I stayed in it. I stayed with working with the company. So what I did was I had a full-time job with the company I was working at. A uh, spray painted shirts for eight months, decided I'm super passionate about this. I think about this more than I do my full-time job. So I'm going to quit. And when I quit, I then decided I should probably just do contractual stuff with this company because they didn't want to lose me. So I did contractual stuff that allowed me to fade full-time into So Worth Loving instead of just full force. I never had financial backing. I didn't have an investor when I started So Worth Loving. It was purely just grassroots, snowball the product, um, and pocket whatever you can to just cover your costs and to pay for your groceries. Right. So you you, you kind of took this on the, the transitional way where it's the middle ground where people either say, you know, stick with your job for as long as possible. A lot of people say to quit as soon as you can. You had this kind of transition phase where you are doing a trash of work. I think this could be appealing for a lot of people in their situation too. Like what is that conversation? Like how do you even bring this conversation to your employer to say that, hey, you know, you have this I guess what was the conversation like that you have with your employer? Yeah, yeah. Um so I I told my employer, I said um, you know, and they knew that I was pursuing so worth loving and music. And well, I had, you know, not everybody it might be in this circumstance. I was, I'm just so thankful that I had the CEO was passionate about other people on his team having outside of the walls passion for something else. So he, he actually encouraged me to pursue music. He was the reason I pursued music because he asked me, sky's the limit. What do I want to do with my life? So when I came to find that I wanted to pursue So Worth Loving. And I told them, hey, and I was honest. I said, I love my job here. I love the team. I love the leadership. But I love this community more. And But I want to be a good steward to my commitment to you guys. And so I'm wondering if we can find a middle ground where I can still work and be and learn and be under leadership because I value and I respect you while, you know, I'm able to pursue this thing that I, I feel called to do. And fortunately, that was received. Well, some bosses will say, no, no way. You know, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll right. say, um, you know, like you're either all in or nothing. So it depends on the company that you're with. Uh, and I think, too, it depends on like, I think it's how you posture yourself. If you if you communicate to your boss you want to use your talents for him to still win while expressing that the thing that you love is life-giving and gives you energy and you still want to figure out what that looks like. I think you can do it in a way where your boss feels respected, but you're also respecting what you feel called to do. Right. I, I think it's important that you point out that the opportunity began with the the company, right? The, the boss that you had was open to this kind of thing. There was encouraging of it. So that, that's obviously really important. But I also liked how you positioned it so that it wasn't a win-lose situation where you're, 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 you know, you're quit. You're kind of like putting it black and white where you're quitting and he has no, you don't, you don't, you position in a way where he could still come out as a winner in this case and you could still be able to support, uh, you know, th- their causes. So I think that's an important uh, point that you're making. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. One, two, I'll add, like, I, I'll add real quick. I also like, 
it wasn't that the company that I worked with was like, you know, sunshines and rainbows. Like it was, there was definitely like as any company office politics and you could absolutely magnify it and give it, give that a reason to lead. And I think that if you can create a win-win scenario where they win and you win, it's easier to fade into contractual work with them versus picking out all of the negatives and going, but see, this is why, because it's easy to like romance, you know, what you're passionate about and villainize uh, your, the company that you're working for um, because, you know, you don't want to feel bad about leaving because <laughs> sometimes I think that we have a tendency to do that. Mm-hmm. So, so looking back, one, what would have been a, like you're saying, you would not change a thing because obviously it worked worked out for you. But we're looking back, when when would been like a better time to cause less stress, to cause less kind of pain for you over the last, over the beginning years? If you had to choose a better timing for when to to transition out of a full time job, I think that I would have decided what amount of nest egg do I need financially for emergencies or. Uh, you know, three months worth of my rent. And, you know, just like I would create a better financial nest egg so that you're not driven by money when you pursue your passion. Because it's easy to be driven by money and money becomes the focal instead of your mission for why you are doing what you're doing. So I would have, I would have, but I, you know, entrepreneurs, man, we were risk takers. And so sometimes we run off the high of taking that risk and not having any sort of thing to fall back on. But I, I, I would have developed a, a nest egg of some sort financially before uh, diving in and putting that pressure on my home life. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense about uh, making sure that you are, you're comfortable, you, know, you, have a, you feel like you have a safety net because you can then focus on the mission rather than on survival. It's kind of like, if you mm-hmm. are running out of cash, you're going to start thinking short term real quick, right? You're going to start thinking, how do I pay this month's bill instead of how do I build this thing over the next few years? If you could see the runway where you could you know, subsist and survive for years, then you aren't going to be so focused on the short term wins. I think that that can only help set up your business for success. Um, so so how, long be- how long before you felt like, okay, I... I am now on kind of steady ground between the time that you, you, you kind of quit the full-time gig until when before you felt like you were okay? You know, I think it was probably five years in, honestly. I think three years we defined ourselves, like we were able to, we were, sorry, in three years we were able to define our uh, culture and our mission and our company values. And then within five years, it was really when we started developing a strong rhythm and we'll be eight years in November. Um, so I, I feel like it was five, five year mark was when we started hitting our stride and, uh, you know, being able to sell to 30 countries and 50 states and, you know, grow on college campuses and gain momentum and, 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 you know, magazines are featuring us and tell it, you know, headline news and CNN's, you know, featuring us and Southern living and, um, NBC and MSNBC. And so it was the five-year mark was really when we started getting our footing, I felt like. Mm, so lot, for a long time, you were kind of unsure. I think that's, you know, five years, a long time. Most people will, would certainly give up. What were things yeah. that you were doing? Yeah, what were things that you were doing to, to keep on the path? Like how did you make sure you weren't going to give up, you know, four years in? 
You know, it's a great question because sometimes, you know, you want to quit every day, (laughs) even if it's successful. And even if it's struggling, sometimes you're like, man, why am I doing this again? Like, yeah, you have to show up every day. You have to show up every day. And sometimes not every day is, is fun to show up, right? No, exactly. And honestly, you have to die to yourself every single day. You die to yourself to pursue your dream. A lot of people think that your dream is all about yourself and it's actually the complete opposite. You have to die to yourself to serve your staff well, to serve your community well, to steward everything financially well. And you learn a lot about, you know, your, even like your upbringing and how you view finances from your upbringing to what you view them now as. And, and you know, what kept me going were a few things. One, I ate off of like Wendy's baked potatoes, loaded baked potatoes. Mm. <laughs> that was so They're pretty good, good though. <laughs> They're so good. And the chili's gluten free. So, nice. <laughs> Um, so I, uh, lean and mean is how I did it. And I think, you know, our communities, we see lives change. We see people struggling with depression. We see people that have gone through the, their firsts of life, right? Their first breakup, their first job loss, their first file for bankruptcy, their first, um, F in their class, their first divorce. It's the first of everything. We like to say, so worth loving shows up in your firsts because the firsts are the thing that can damage our self-worth and our identity. Um, we can either bounce back from them or those things can define us and, and eat at us and we spiral from them. And so seeing stories change or seeing people's lives change is what kept me going. Being in the mission, being focused on, I know that this is changing lives. So it's just semantics and I'll keep failing until I figure it out. I will keep failing until I get what the secret formula is. So it was my mission that kept me going uh, for those five years and dying to myself (laughs) every day. (laughs) Yeah, I I think this is important where you have to feel like you are making an impact every day. You have to feel like you're doing something important every day. Otherwise, even even if you were never financial success – but you know that you are impacting people's lives. You are giving them, you know, a, a light at the end of the tunnel and giving them positivity when they're going through a, a rough patch. That alone, I, I think people can, can can see that they cannot give up on that, even if there is no financial success at the end of it. So I think by just finding a way to see that you're doing something important every day is so important because I don't think anyone out there can survive waiting for five years if their goal is at the five-year mark, right? Like every, if you're just saying, I'm going to sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice and not feel any reward for five years, I don't think anyone can survive that. But you were able to look and see, oh, I make an impact every day. These are customers. These are people that I'm having, I'm changing their lives every day. And I think that, again, is a, alone is enough to keep you going. Yeah, exactly. That's right. You know, there's some stories out there where it's like, maybe their dream is, isn't to, you know, be a $300 million company, but maybe it's just to be a $250,000 company where you like take a great paycheck and you have a fulfillment facility, do it yourself. And, but you see the impact. I think it's at the end of the day, whether it's the 300 million, it's a 250,000 or if it's a hundred thousand or if it's the 500,000, whatever your mark is, I think it's always continuing to ask yourself, you know, what is my motivation? Why am I doing this? Is this life giving? Cause at some point, I mean, your, your finances, they, your profit and loss statements have to make sense it, it, or it, it will affect your, your esteem and your living, but it can be too much of a focal point 
um, to where you miss it completely of what your mission is and why you're doing it. So yeah, it's a balance. It's trying to figure it out and then allowing that be your motivator. God, yeah, I, I've heard this um, this saying from from a couple entrepreneurs recently about how there are certain things in your business that are designed versus discovered. Designed meaning that you came into into the business with this kind of planned out, and discovered meaning that you know that you don't know this and you kind of figured out along the way. Now, when you talk about your why. Where did this happen? Like, because I think I think this is such a I hear it all the time. Sometimes I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, how do you know? How did you? How did you? I guess land on your why? Was it something that you knew just like inside yourself, or did you discover it along the way? Mm, that's a great question. You know, I think my why. Well, my why started with spray paint, and it was wanting to empower people to live their life through the lens that they're worthy of love. That was my why from the beginning. So then it was trying to figure out how do I do that? So my how was probably a harder question to answer than my why. Um, My how was like, okay, so how do I, how do I do that? And how do I do that sustainably? Um, But my why over time was consistent. Okay. Okay. My why over time was seeing people, affirm, our community affirm it over and over again and seeing the need and going, yep, this is why we do what we do. Yes, I thought so. This is why we do what we do. So it was almost because we are very community driven. Um, our community affirmed our why. And then we started to figure out how to make our why better by understanding how do we do it. Does that make sense? It does. So it almost sounds like you kind of discovered it then, yeah. Because unless they're like pre spray painting, pre the viral music video, did you know that this was the, your why? Like, I be, be, you know, put yourself kind of mindset before mm. business ever started. Did you feel like you wanted to start this kind of community, or did you just stumble into like, wait a second, this is this is, this resonates with me so much that I want this to be my life purpose? Yeah. This is, okay. Got it. I see what you mean. Yeah. I think. So when I think about my music, all my music was empowering and uplifting. I wanted my music. I wanted when you had a really bad day, you could turn it on and you could feel like, okay, I can overcome whatever happened that day. So my, my, my motive always had been, I just, I had prayed since I was like in middle school to be a light in dark places. I just want to empower and encourage people in their daily life, whether it was through music, photography, art direction, you know, I was an art director before my music. And then I was a musician and then now I'm a business owner. So my, my personal why has always been, I will be, I want to be used as a vessel to be a light in dark places. Yeah. So I kind of knew it since I was in middle school that I'd always been that way, even in high school. So like I repeated fifth grade, I was terrible at school. I didn't go to college, but I was an, I was a, uh, editor of the yearbook and I was president of the student body and president of the honor system. I was very people driven and I wanted to tell stories and empower people. So at such a young age, I was already doing that. And so it was just a matter of, I guess, the evolution of my skills and like what I'm and like listening to it and then going, okay, it's just semantics of figuring out how to do it financially. That makes sense. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely, it's a, a, a part that I think, 
if it doesn't come naturally to you, like it, it almost sounds like it came naturally to you, like it's always been a part of who you are. I think for a lot of people who are going through this process of figuring out their why, will sometimes be like, ah, I'm not sure what it is right now. I'm just going to skip over it and then maybe come back to it later when I figure it out. So do you ever come across other whys or other things that pull you towards like, oh, maybe this can also be my purpose? And like, how do you deal with new feelings of other purposes that come into your life? Yeah, that's a great question. I've never been asked that question. Um, you know, that's that's something that I've like I've wrestled with because because I am the founder of So Worth Loving and we are a movement and a lifestyle brand. That that lends for me to be involved in other areas like speaking. I'm, I just signed a publishing deal to write two books. Um, so so there's that avenue too, right? I, at the end of the day, it fits under the same umbrella that I'm still want to be a positive voice in people's lives. And I want to be creating and whatever I do, honest conversations of our struggles. Cause I believe that through storytelling, if you share your story, someone else will feel less alone in theirs. That's always, I've always been an advocate for that. So I think for me, anything, I, I had to define my roadmap because like I could, I could be all over the place, right? Entrepreneurs, it's like, we could have so many ideas. I could create a candle company that does self-worth and I could create this and that and this. So I had to kind of like bring myself back, put out, like write out a map of like, okay, Aaron, I want to get really good at creating a staff culture and product development and honest partnerships and converse, like good, strong partnerships with our brand um, that are foundational to help other individuals that come across what we do. And then in my own outlet, I do still love writing and I, but I can dabble with both. So I could do that in my personal, but then I can also do it in my company. And then that's my, those are my boundaries. And then that's my foundation. I have to say no. I think you have to say no as an entrepreneur more than you say yes. Um, I think you say yes a lot in the beginning and then you realize no one respects a yes person. If you're saying yes to everything, uh, Dr. Henry Cloud always says that. Nobody respects a yes person at the end of the day. So defining what I'm going to say no to, I had to figure that out. That was a hard, that's hard to figure out as an entrepreneur. Hey, real quick. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now let's get back to the interview. Hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. What, what, what about the other side? For anyone out there that is struggling, I think that this is a big struggle, which is why I'm, I'm spending so much time on this. Is like if you're trying to figure out what your why is, what questions do you think that people can ask themselves? Well, what, maybe what, what singular question can they ask themselves to start discovering their 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 purpose? Mm. I would ask them the question if they're if they if they're currently pursuing like a side hustle or a is that what you're asking? Like if they're pursuing like a side hustle or a small business kind of like how, how do they establish their why? Yeah. How do they know that they are spending their, their limited time in this life on the right thing? Right. Right. Cause I did, I took five years before I started to, uh, you know, reap what I, you know, they say mm -hmm. reap what you sow. Exactly. And I, I, I sowed for. Cause you could have, you could have picked the wrong thing in five years. You might've realized, wait a second, I actually don't like this or love this at all. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, honest conversations with your mentors. I think surrounding yourself with a lot of people that can be a mirror to you when you start to get, because I think with entrepreneurship in general, I kind of explain it like a tidal wave. Like you, you're swimming in the water and you don't know if you're swimming down to the sand 
swimming up for air or you're just continuing to swim sideways and not making any impact. And I felt that way for five years. But again, it just went back to, I think that this is a risk that's worth still pursuing. I had quit so many times. I had thought about throwing in the towel so many times. But at the end of the day, my gut was like, I love this. And this, I, the motivator for me is seeing the impact it's making. So I think it's asking yourself the question, what motivates you? Do you see the impact? Everything else is semantics. And it's surrounding yourself with the right people to go, okay, this journey might be long and hard, but the reward is going to be worth it. It's going to either change someone's life. And it doesn't mean you have to be a philanthropist. I mean, you could be like, you're really, really good at making shoes, right? It's like, it doesn't have to be a, a movement or a mission. You could just be a really good human being pursuing a product, seeing the change in people's lives and pursuing it. My parents, they manufactured furniture for 35 years. And I watched their resiliency. They failed so many times. They had their factory burned completely down to the ground and it wasn't covered in insurance. And they bought a building and rebuilt their furniture company. And they were an extremely successful 100,000 square foot uh, factory, over 120 employees. And their, their furniture were in so many people's homes. And they didn't have like a mission or a movement behind what they did, but they created the most beautiful product. But I saw their resiliency. And it, I think that at the end of the day, it's, again, it goes back to what is your motivator? What do you love? What are you passionate about? One of my friends, he owned a company that he sold. He sold it for well over, I think it's like $28 million. But when he started it, he was a college student living in his ex-girlfriend's basement. He was $50,000 in debt. And he believed in creating spirit wear and, and product and for um, uh uh, schools. And he, he thought, I love doing this. I see the impact on these schools. So it's just semantics. So it's figuring it out. And he, it took him a long time before he got to the mark of, you know, being able to do some of the successful things. So I think it goes back to what's your motivator and you reap what you sow. And, you know, so, so, so with mentors that can be mirrors to you, that can help you on the bad days, that can help you on the days that you want to quit. Because you will have those days where you will feel purposeless while pursuing your purpose. Mm. I think that's important about about what you said about how you don't have to be a charity to add value to the world. I think that a lot of entrepreneurs have this, maybe in the back of their heads, maybe in the front of this kind of guilt of being an entrepreneur where you feel like, oh, I'm selling things, so I'm being greedy. But you can add value to the world by making amazing products or putting the right products in front of the right people. And there is value in just that, like you're saying, it's a semantics thing. You don't have to just be like a philanthropist and just giving, you know, charity out. If you if you can if you are amazing at what you're providing with the price you're creating, that is adding value to the world. You know, so I think that's an important point that that you're making. I think that again, there's a lot of guilt. I think for a lot of people with the the pursuit of entrepreneurship and pursuit of you know capitalism to some degree. Exactly, and there's this pressure that if you don't have a movement or a mission or a nonprofit, that means that you're not. Um, that you don't have a caring heart, right? Or that you're not making an impact in society. And I mean, I watched when my parents' furniture company for the amount of years that they had it. And then my grandmother owned a furniture company for over 45 years. And it started off with uh, shoe forms and spools. And then it ended up being a multi-million dollar furniture company. It, and it was furniture. But what was what I think that we forget in things that aren't associated to charity or nonprofits is that the way you lead your staff, the way you pour into people, the way you pour into yourself, the way you pour into your customers, how you treat them with love and respect 
you show that you see them just like Zappos. It's, it's more, if you do more of that and you kind of silence this, um, then that voice that's like, Hey, you're only impacting the world. If you're associated to a nonprofit, I don't believe that. I think that you can still do that. I think you can make impact in different ways and in different mediums of art. And it doesn't have to be through necessarily a movement. Mm, definitely. So let, let's talk about, so the five years in, you got, you definitely, you said you finally felt like you're on steady ground. What, what were you putting in place that led up to that? What were the strategies? What are the things you're doing to, to, you know, start pouring some, some concrete into the foundations of, of your business? Yeah, I think um, systems, and I'm not a systems person at all. Like I'm definitely a visionary uh, free spirit, right? <laughs> so I knew that if I wanted to think through the lens of sustainability, I had to keep thinking, okay, Aaron, I know right now you're not selling thousands and thousands of shirts, but when I started selling thousands and thousands of shirts, my bags need to be already packed and prepared for that, for when I'm selling thousands of shirts. It doesn't just come. So what systems in place do I need? Whether it's onboarding interns and understanding the laws of internships. Do you, um, so when, how do we onboard interns? How do we create internship descriptions? job descriptions, um, how do we, what software do I want to use in um, payroll? Uh, what accounting you know, companies do I want to work with? How do I want to read my profit and loss statements? How do I apply profit and loss statements to contributing to the vision and making sure that we're not finance, like money focused, we're mission focused, but being financially sustainable. Like, so I had to think through all of those types of things, challenge myself to think forward, even if my finances didn't look like that. Um, I think sometimes we, we want to, we want to just get there. We just want to be successful, but we have to create systems and processes in place for when the success hits. Cause when it hits, you want to be prepared and you want to have the culture and the community and the, the financial structure when it does hit, not scrambling. And I think I found myself in in the in-between. I found myself scrambling a little bit, which is why I think I can speak confidently in that, of, of preparing your bags to be packed for success <laughs> um, instead of uh, just hoping that you'll, you'll have it, you'll have it when it comes. <laughs> just constant yeah. preparation. It's definitely a balancing act, right? I, I think what you're saying, what you're getting at too, is like you, you just like you have to, you have to dress for the role that you want. You have to act as the company or act as the leader that you you want to be. You almost have to act ahead or prepare ahead, like you're mm-hmm. saying. Now, exactly. when you yes, how, how do you know how far ahead you should be learning and how far ahead you should be building systems? Because it could be the opposite, where you're spending so much time kind of optimizing something that's three years down the road while like your, your house is on fire and you're not focusing on the problems, <laughs> you know, right in front of you. So how do you balance between how far ahead you should be preparing? Oh, good question. You know, I think it's just a, a, a monthly check-in with yourself on, again, what's your motivator? I'll just keep going back to that question. You know, like, am I staying on, what's my motivator and how does everybody feel on my team? Whether, whether you have volunteers or let's say you have like a woman that's like, you know, hey, I'm, I want to donate my time to doing customer service to help you out. Or let's say you have a team of nine people. Just checking in with the steady growth. I think, um, again, what's your, yeah, it's what, what is your motivator? How hungry are you? And are you allowing your appetite to drive it? Or are you allowing like the, the mission to drive it? 
your appetite, I think, can look different than your mission. Um, your appetite for success, for financial freedom, for it kind of goes back to what we said earlier. It's like you'll start building on the short short term goals instead of the long term goals. Um, if you the fi- if you're being driven by finances, um, you know, I think I, it's hard for me to answer that question because. I didn't have a five-year plan. A lot of people have five-year plans. A lot of people have a complete, I mean, I've made a plan every year and it continues to look different. So I've had to just check in with myself and with our team and, and, and go, okay, at the pace that we're growing now, what goals do I want to set that are realistic? What goals do I want to set that are kind of big dreams? And can I meet myself in the middle? And can I push the envelope just a little bit to where people don't feel like they're, you know, exhausted and they can't sleep. Like, I don't want to develop a staff culture like that. So what do I need to do that's healthy for everybody, healthy for me, that's pushing it, pushing it just a little bit, a healthy pressure. I think asking yourself that question, what's a, what's a healthy pressure that I can apply? And then just doing check-ins with yourself monthly on what that looks like. Right. And you can speak from a place of experience because you mentioned to us that you, at one point, you placed your sense of worth in the metrics of success. And it was only after a downturn or things weren't going as well as you had had imagined where you realized that you placed too much value in the followers, the profit and loss statements, and whether you are valuable in the market or not. So tell us about this. Like what, what, I guess, how did you begin to learn that you were focusing on the, the, the wrong things? Oh, yes. I learned that the hard way. Um, it was when I started uh, hearing people's stories and I was numb to it. Like it didn't impact me. It didn't give me chills. It didn't give me, it didn't move me. It just, I, it, when I learned that I had, I had, it was like almost like apathy kind of. And I know it was a lot because of my personal, my personal life was going through some hardship. So I was just exhausted. So I, my personal life was going through some, through some things. My company is growing at a rapid pace. People are demanding things from me from business and personal. And I was exhausted and I was spent. So anybody that shared their story with me required an energy and emotional response. I just couldn't give. And it wasn't because I didn't care, but it was because I found myself saying yes to everything and everyone. And I experienced burnout and it, and so my, 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 I guess my indicator was recognizing, man, I don't have emotion to this anymore. There, there's something wrong here. Like you started this out of passion. Why don't, why aren't you moved by this anymore? Mm. So if you start feeling that kind of apathy from hearing from your customers, hearing about how, you impact their lives because earlier in the conversation, earlier in this podcast, you were saying how that how that was what was motivating you, and, and now I can see that once that dies down, or not dies down, but when you stop caring about that kind of amazing story, how do you start to kind of walk it back to put yourself back in the right mindset to? Because I don't think it's as easy as saying, you know what, I'm going to stop looking at the numbers. I'm going to start caring more about the stories. <laughs> like it's not like a it's not like a decision that you can make. Right, you have to start making putting things into practice to get yourself into that kind of mood. Right. So how did you do that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because that's the thing. When I started it, the only motivator was seeing the impact, and then experiencing that burnout and like the apathy was that was, you know, that was the indicator to get back to it. 
was delegating. Honestly, it was, I had to take a break. I took, I did take a break. I sustained, the company sustained. I took a sabbatical, which I think is really important to realign yourself and in your why. And I came back to the same answer of why I do what I do and why I was able to stick in it for as long as I have. And then see, you know, like I said earlier, reap what you sow. Well, when you start sowing, only caring about the finances and the, the, you know, the pressures that you get from business mentors and you're not aligning yourself with, you're only allowing, uh, aligning yourself with business mentors that care about the financial metric and not like other metrics, like metrics of stories of, of that you receive and people lives being changed and people being connected. But if you're only surrounding yourself with the metric of that, naturally that's, you're going to respond and, and think that way. So I had to, I had to center myself back with, um, that's a healthy, you know, it's healthy to have business mentors that think finance financially, but then I had to realign myself with people that think only mission and vision and for them to question and challenge my character and, 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 and kind of rewire some of that, some of that thought process with quick success and, and, and burnout, you know, and like fake focusing on my, on my, again, my motivator and then delegating. I don't want to look at a profit and loss statement ever again, <laughs> but I have to. So, but I don't have to consistently. I don't have to be the person that does that, that leads that consistently. I can delegate that to somebody to do that. We set budgets in place and we focus on our mission. Mm. So it sounds like what, what's been kind of been your rock to keep your, your ship steady has been these mentors. You said you find these mentors that care about the things that you want to continually care about and can kind of write you on your path by becoming a mirror to you and saying, hey, you know, this is what your actions are, are displaying. Are you doing the, are you focusing on the right things or not? Like having that kind of feedback. So it goes back to your mentor. So tell us about that. It's like, how does someone out there that has no, kind of support system, no mentors? Like how do they begin to find a mentor? How did you find yours? And how, how do you recommend other people find their mentors? Yeah. So there's um, a few organizations that I found in Atlanta that I got connected to. However, I mean, some of my mentor, I have one mentor in Oklahoma City. I have another mentor um, in San Diego. So not everybody was local for me. And it's a small group of people um, quality over quantity. I will always, always, always say that. Um, for me, there's, there, well, okay. So there's to speak, I guess, cause not everybody's in Atlanta, um, social media. I think that you can find business, uh, like people that own businesses that you look up to and you shoot them an email and you say, Hey, I would love to, get on a 30 minute Skype call with you. I'll pay your, I'll pay $50 for your time. And I would love to just, and, and most likely they will not accept your $50 or a hundred dollars that you say, but to show that that's, if they get that pool a lot, that just shows you're serious and you value your t- value their time and you're not going to waste it. Um, so I think looking through social media on, on companies that you admire and if you, if you look at the business owner and you've been, you can kind of scope them out a little bit on LinkedIn and on their personal Instagram page, maybe on their website and go, okay, I, I like their values. I'd like to get to know them more and see if if something lines. And sometimes it won't. Sometimes it's a good phone call and that's it. And then other times it's a gem that you're like, goodness, I'm so thankful 
that I found this person and that we really align and they process the way I process. And so when I'm in the dumps, I can call them and I can text them and I can say, Hey, I'm, I'm feeling off kilter here and they can speak life back into me. Um, there is an organization called plywood people and they, they reach people outside of Atlanta, but they are Atlanta based and they were definitely my support system. I think, uh, yeah, plywood people was one of them. There's another place called Atlanta tech village that pours into people, but there's tech villages where they help with startups that do like meetups and social hours and happy hours. Just start going to those places. It's scary sometimes if you don't know anybody, but if you go and you show up, you'll connect with another person and by networking and connecting with like-minded individuals, you'll find those people that you want to continue to pursue and that you want to continue to um, ask for advice. And then a beautiful relationship can be made out of it. Mm. So community has, has been really important for, for you, for your own development. And then, of course, also the, the backbone of what you want to create with uh, what you have been creating was so worth loving. How do you transition from just being an apparel brand or store into a community? Like where does that where does that live? Where does a community live? Yeah, so we have a blog. It's blog.soworthloving.com. And we share people's stories uh, of struggles of self-worth. We also have a partner a lot with Dr. Henry Cloud, um, where we're able to encourage people to go over to Dr. Henry Cloud to learn about codependency, addiction, boundaries, safe people. Um, we we like to align ourselves with partners um, that have the same values as ours. Uh, so uh, while we have our product side, which is the shop, dot so worth com or so worth com. we have our blog that houses houses all of uh the partnerships and the storytelling and then we also share podcasts we share books to read if you know somebody like we'll share books like option b you know this book is called option b by cheryl sandberg it's a really great book on grief and and then option b actually has its own community of people that have that is specific to losing a loved one and going through grief because that's what the book is about so we, we try to lock arms with other organizations instead of being the only organization that does it because there are other people that do it better and that's their sole focus. And we don't want to overextend. We want to be focused on being the bridge. And if we are the bridge, then we are going to bridge the gap with other companies as well. Yeah, I think that that's that's this great point about how you don't necessarily need to have like a message board or a Facebook group or a meetup to own a community. And one of the easiest ways to build a community is just by telling the stories from the community. You know, the podcast like this one and, and your blog, of course, that's the idea, right? How do you take a story from one end and make sure everyone on the other end gets to hear it as well? And that's how you start building this this community by just shared like this mutual, I guess, understanding, right? From 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 mm-hmm. the content you the content that you put out. And your community can exist in multiple places. You know, like you're saying, like you are the bridge that allows your 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 customers, your 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 blog readers to congregate in other places. Places. And it doesn't have to be something that you own yourself. You can be the bridge, like you're, like you're saying. So I think that's an important point. So a lot of people think community and they think, okay, I need to own a group of people somewhere. But that's not the case, right? That's not certainly not, not the approach that you've taken. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, in the beginning, I will say, like, I felt the responsibility to do it all on my own. And then I realized I'm actually cannot do that. I humanly cannot do that. Like, that is doing, that is a disservice to my energy and to the people that I want to serve. But what I did see was when other people connected with each other, then that, that, that built 
everybody locking arms. So we do pop-ups and events and meetups. And we did a tour across the Southeast where we traveled to um, 10 city or 13 cities in 10 days. And we rented a Sprinter van and did coffee shop meetups and, and things like that. We create conversation starters, you know, on, a, on our social media. But our whole goal, again, is to lock arms with individuals versus it, all the weight being on us. Because we... If you own, if you put your all your eggs in the one basket, it just won't be sustainable, and we won't be able to serve people as well as if we can start start those conversations. Conversations, share what it's like to have healthy community, so people then can go find that in their city. Again, it's being that bridge. We we want to be that bridge, and our motivator is to lead people into conversations about what it means to live your life through the lens that you're worthy of love. Amazing. So, so worth loving.com is a website. I'll leave you this last question. What needs to happen for you this year for you to consider the year a success? Mm, oh, that was a good question. Well, you know, we're turning eight on Cyber Monday, which is really, really exciting. And I'm actually in the process of writing my book. My manuscript is due uh, January 1st. So if we, to me, the biggest success for So Worth Loving are two things. One, I finished my manuscript and it, it, it is, uh, I do our community justice because it's based on what I've learned in the eight years of walking alongside and, and seeing people's lives change with this message. Um, so representing the, the community well in my manuscript. And then our goal, our biggest goal, Felix, is to have purchased as a Mercedes Sprinter van to tour this tour the United States and do more meetups or get it sponsored. We're trying to figure that out right now. That would be a huge success. That's a big dream that I think that it can happen. <laughs> awesome. Well, definitely looking forward to you making that reality and appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, Aaron. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.